welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew. Savior King and his kingdom. We are moving past. We just finished last week. We finished the Sermon on the Mount and we move into this next section. If you are here this morning and in good health, praise Jesus. When we were young, we usually didn't think much about sickness or disease or injury. I was fairly certain as a young man that I was invincible. Nothing could touch me, nothing could hurt me. And even when it did, I thought it was an aberration. It would all go back to me being invincible again. Unfortunately, I've moved past that part of my life and now realize I'm not as invincible as I thought I was. Even then, we'd get sick, and then we'd get over it, and then we'd move past. But as we get older, sickness and disease and injury and all these things, they, they, they're more front of mind. We think about them more often. More people we know have some kind of health issue. You, know, you young people don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. I get it. You will. <laughs> we get together. We get together invariably we start talking about what our stuff is what our what our you know what our what our issues are what our injuries are what our procedures are our our test results were or you know I, you know we were at the men's breakfast yesterday we had two guys comparing their recovery from knee surgery you know the you know the how it was going on you know stuff like that just happens you know we were living in this world where where you know Things happen to us. Our bodies don't, they're not designed to last a long time. Bible says, you know, 70, 80 years is about, is about the end of it. You get to about that point, you're doing pretty good. You got to be thankful. You get past it, like some. They're dancing in the streets. Hey, good for you. I hope I'm, I hope I'm doing as well as you are at that point. I used to think it was really weird when old people talked about all their stuff. Now I think it's weird that I do it. <laughs> How is it? Any conversation I have before too long, oh, 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 wait, oh, you think that's bad. You ought to hear what's going on with me. <laughs> Come on. Today's focus is going to, today's text is going to focus on three people who have real issues, real problems, and they come to Jesus, or Jesus interacts with them. You know, today's message is about healing. And I know as I share this message, 
that there are some here who really want to be healed. They've had stuff that's been going on in their life maybe for a long time. I can, I can look around this room and I know there are people who faithfully watch this, these services who are watching them because they can't be here physically. This physically can't do it. And they want to be healed. So we're going to talk about healing. We're not, we, can't, we, can't, we can't cover all of the elements, all the aspects of it. We can't, we can't even, I'm not even going to be able to get to the point where we talk about chronic pain. Why, why, why do we have to go through chronic pain? Why is that a reality in the human condition? But we need to learn some things about what it means when, when Jesus was healing and, and some of the, the purposes in healing. Because I think that's really important to us as we understand that God heals. He does. And he heals today. He still heals. And, and we have to know that. We have to believe that as we move forward. He also teaches something about how we ought to approach God when we need something. And we're talking about healing here today, but it really applies to a lot of other things as well. So let's pray, and especially if, if, you, if you need a healing of some sort, you know, let's, let's pray and we'll ask it. Um, you know, I'm blessed that often that when, you know, people come and they, and, they, and they give their life to Jesus and then they give their life to the church to minister and serve, often they're doing it in pain. They're doing it through pain and through some sort of a difficulty and it always blesses my heart to see they're putting themselves aside so that they can minister to the body of Christ. And that's really, that's really a beautiful thing to watch and behold. So let's pray. And if you could, if you, as I'm praying, if you think of somebody you know in that situation, you know needs to be healed, would, would like to be healed, or, or just you know that they're serving through the different struggles of life, then lift them up to the, lift them up to the Lord right now as I pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord God, um, Lord, that you gave us this life. And you gave it to, to us for a purpose and a reason. But Lord, we do live in a fallen, broken world. And in the fallenness of this world, we also recognize that there are things like sickness and disease and injury. And there's chronic pain and there's just all of the things, all the, the realities that as these bodies, these, these mortal bodies, as they, as they approach the end, they, they, they just don't hold up like they did when we were young. And so we pray, Lord, as we take this time to look at the times that you healed people, Lord, that, that, we, might, that we might recognize that, that healing is possible. Um, we, can't, we can't demand it of you. We can't, we can't expect that you're going to do it just because. But there is a purpose that you, 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 when you heal, you heal for a purpose. And even in that, we need to learn something about you, Jesus. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd minister to our hearts today about what it means and, and why it's important and, and where all this stuff comes from so that, Lord, that we might be able to minister to those around us, especially those who are struggling with one thing or another, that we might be a, 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 just a moment of light and hope and, and maybe even relief to them if that's possible. We ask, Lord, for your special touch upon us, and we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so last week we finished the Sermon on the Mount, and, and the, the thing that made 
that makes the Sermon on the Mount so amazing. And, and, and the way it ended is the people looked at it and said, wow, this guy doesn't teach like normal people. He doesn't teach like the scribes does. He teaches teach with authority or you could say with power. Well, it's because he had the power to be able to speak the things that he did. And some of the power, some of the reality of that power is manifested not just in the words that he spoke, but in the things that he did. That he did so many miracles that the Gospel of John tells us that you couldn't even keep track of it. There were so many. the, The world would be filled with the books if you tried to record every time that Jesus did a miracle. And almost all of those miracles, a lot of those miracles, were healing miracles. For Jesus to be king, which we believe that he is king, he has to have the power to back up what he says. And one of the most profound, one of the most radical ways that he displayed that power when he was on the earth was in the area of healing. When the disciples of John the Baptist, John the Baptist sent a couple of his disciples to talk to Jesus and to ask him, are are you the one we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah? He said, in Matthew eleven five, 5, he said, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus said, if you want to know if I am the Messiah, the savior of the world, the one promised from eternity past, if, I, if you want to know that I'm the one who came to save the world, look what I do, look what I did. His healings, were his testimony. And I want you to notice the last thing he threw in there. And the gospel is preached to the poor. Well, that's interesting. Healing, 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 raised from the dead, and then the gospel. We understand something. The greatest healing that you'll ever experience in this, in this world, this life, is the healing from sin. Every one of us If you're a believer here today, you had an incurable disease, and that was sin. When Jesus came into your life, he cured you of the ultimate penalty of sin. You've still got some sin in you. That's why you're here, because otherwise you'd be out preaching the gospel somewhere else. We're here because we need, we need more of Jesus. We need more of his word. We need more of his people. We need more God in our lives. And so we gather together to worship him and to draw near to one another so that we can draw near to him. All that is going on. It's all true. But the greatest healing that anyone will ever experience in life is the healing from the, the, the bondage of sin. And what we need to understand is Jesus is still healing people. Spiritually, absolutely. But he's also healing people physically. We still believe. We still believe the, the, the gifts of God are real and true today, just as they were thousands of years ago. They're still true. When Jesus walked on the earth, the healings that he was doing, those healings can still happen today. They don't happen the same way, but they still happen. And we believe that. Let's get into our text. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. I'm not in Matthew 8. Hold on. 
And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So Jesus is up on this mount to, to, for the Sermon on the Mount, and he comes down, and, and, and he's, more people need ministry. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, leprosy is a terrible disease. We don't see it so much today. It still, it still happens, but it's, it's not nearly as prevalent as it was back in the time of Christ. Now, a terrible disease. And if you got leprosy, uh, you're, you are in trouble. Uh, you would ultimately be separated from society. You would be isolated from other people or Possibly you might end up with other lepers, but you're, you're pretty much going to spend the rest of your life as a leper, and you will die a lonely, miserable death. Terrible disease. In the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin, and it's a great picture of sin because the same things that leprosy does, sin does to us. It, 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 it get, when it gets into the body... It starts to spread and consume the body. Same thing with sin. If you allow sin in, if you allow sin to persist, we have a remedy for it. We have Jesus. And so we can be healed of it. But if it persists, it will spread and corrupt and defile your whole life. Not only that, it will isolate. It isolates you from God and it isolates you from others. It will separate you from people. And it will consume the whole of your being. It's used throughout the Bible as a picture of sin, leprosy is. And for, for that time, it was believed that if you got leprosy, it's because you are cursed by God. God had cursed you, and you were, in essence, you were meant to be outcast because if God curses you, then all of his people are going to curse you too. And this leper comes boldly up to Jesus. That's one of my favorite parts of this account. This, I mean, you, you, Jesus surrounded by multitudes. And this leper comes right through the multitude. And you got to know, as he was coming, everybody around him could see what he was. And there, whoop, you, see a whole, you see a parting of the, you know, the multitude as, as this leper is coming through. They're getting out of his way because the way you contract leprosy is by being around a leper. Physical contact with a leper is how you get leprosy. And so, and so he, you know, he's coming down and he's, he's probably declaring himself, you know, you know, unclean, unclean. He's walking down. People are getting out of his way. He comes right up to Jesus. And notice, he doesn't ask to be healed. That's, you know, you, you can say that that's inferred in what he says, but it, it doesn't make a, a, you know, Jesus heal me. He says, I know that you can heal me. I believe that you can. But he wasn't quite sure if Jesus was willing to do it. Verse 3. Then Jesus put, his hand, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. There's a lot that's pretty radical in this particular verse. The first thing is what Jesus does. Jesus reaches out and touches him. That was absolutely unheard of. The idea of touching a leper was, was 
unthinkable. I can, I can, I can imagine the gasp in the multitude around him as Jesus reaches out and puts his hand upon this leper who probably hadn't experienced physical touch in who knows how long. And, and, and Jesus just reaches out and gives him what he needs. Probably even more than healing is just the reality that he was still human and that somebody could love him. Lepers were driven from human society and contact was not normal because it was so easy to contract leprosy through physical touch. You know, Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him, right? You know that. We're going to read in a little bit later account where Jesus doesn't even have to be in the same county as somebody to heal them. I don't know if there's counties involved, but, you know, hey, you get the point. Jesus touched him because as a leper, he had gone without human touch for so long. Jesus knew what he needed. And when he touched him, the leprosy was gone. Complete, total healing. It's one of the ways we know when God heals us. When God heals us, you're healed. There's nothing left. Now, medicine can do a lot. And the physical, the human body is remarkable at self-healing, right? We know that to a point. When God heals us, when God healed us of sin, it was a complete healing. Doesn't mean all sin is gone from us because we still have this nature in us that is inclined to sin. You know, some people disagree with that. That's all right. You can be wrong. I don't care. Yes, I do care. I do care. But I do believe you have a right to be wrong. But what he does when he does that because sin alienates us from, from God and can alienate us from other people, the very first thing he does is touches us with his love and reunites us with God the Father. He puts us back into communion and fellowship through the forgiveness of our sins. I don't know, I think, I think we sometimes forget how, how remarkable that is. That before Jesus saved us. We were aliens. We were enemies of God. And he, and he, for the most part, just let us to our, just let us go do whatever it is we wanted to do. He never stopped caring about us, never stopped loving us. But until we repented of our sins, received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, God couldn't touch us. He couldn't hold us. He couldn't he couldn't connect with us the way he created us to. The very first thing God does when he forgives our sins is he wraps his arms around us and draws us to himself. What a beautiful thing that is. Ephesians 2.13 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We, brothers and sisters, we need to never stop thinking about, reminding ourselves the fact that we have the un, unspeakable privilege of literally walking into the presence of God 
and, 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 and interacting with him like father and child. I mean, we know what that's like, right? You know that, you know, your you know, father, you know, you know, parent and child, the, the intimacy and the connection and the communion. That's what God wants to have with us. And if we will, if we will remind ourselves of that, it, it, will, it, will, it will carry us through some of the darkest parts of our, of our moments of our lives when we just remind ourselves, oh, my father in heaven. And I run into his presence. Jesus then tells the man what to do, verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. <clears throat> we hear, we're gonna, yeah, as we go through the Gospels, you're going to see that often. Jesus does one of these miracles, and then he tells them, Don't tell anybody about it. Like, Okay, I'm not even sure how that's humanly possible, how not to tell somebody, hey, I was a leper yesterday and today I'm not. You know, somebody's going to see it. Somebody's going to notice that. You know, the point is Jesus didn't want them to focus on the miracle. He wanted them to focus on the message. And that's always the case. God, God will do miracles. He's still doing miracles today, but that isn't the point. The point is the message the miracle is pointing to. That's what we need to focus on. And, and sadly, there are churches that are built around the model of finding some way to do some spectacular thing to make a big show out of, out of you know, religion, out of, out of Christianity. And they make it about that and not about the message. The message is the main thing. Jesus saying that you know, God has the power to heal, that, that there, is, there is sickness, there is disease, there is leprosy in the world because of sin. There is no disease, there's no injury, there's no frailty in this world that isn't connected directly to sin. Not necessarily to your specific sin, just because there's sin in the world. The world's broken. When sin entered the world, it broke the whole world. If it hadn't been for, you know, the sin in the garden, there wouldn't be disease. There wouldn't be weakness. There would be no death. Can you imagine that? A world without death? We can. You have to read the end of the book. The end of the book talks about that. We're not there yet. Maybe soon. Stay for the meeting after church. We'll talk about it. Jesus tells the leper, go to the priest. Go to the priest and do what they tell you, what's commanded by the law. And that is in the law. In Leviticus 14, verse 3, it says this, and the priest shall go out of the camp where the lepers are because they were driven out of the camp and shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed to living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And so there was this process, there was this, this system where if you were healed of leprosy, you could be, you know, um, if you are healed of leprosy, you're physically cleansed but now you need to be spiritually cleansed. That, that's what the priest would do. He'd bring you to a, a spiritual cleansing so that you could be reintroduced to the community. Without that, you would be left out there, even though you might be healed of leprosy. Without the, the spiritual cleansing, you'd still have to stay out there. He's saying, go and do that. Now, we understand is that, is that you know, for most, if you became a leper, you were destined to ultimately die alone and miserable. The Bible only records two healings from leprosy. Miriam, the sister of Moses, 
and Naaman, the Syrian general. Why him? Why those? Well, I know I can understand why Miriam, but why the Syrian general? What was the purpose? He says right here, Jesus wanted the priest to see this man healed of leprosy as a testimony to them. I, I can, you know, sometimes I try to put myself into the account and try to imagine it. This guy walks up and says to the priest, oh, hey, I got healed. I got healed of leprosy. And they're saying like, What? Yeah, you're supposed to do that thing you're supposed to do, you know, to, you know, so that, you know, I can be cleansed. And, and I can imagine them saying like, well, what is that? You know, they're, they're getting their books open. Like, I, well, we've never done this before. We don't know. How, do you know how to do it? No, I don't know. Do you know how to do it? No, I don't know how to do it. Running around trying to figure out how, how do we do the pro, How do we do the system now? Jesus knew that a report of someone being healed of leprosy, and, he, and this leper was not the only one. There's lots of them got healed. Matter of fact, everyone that came to Jesus got healed. That, that that would have an effect upon the priest, especially as they go through the process of cleansing them of their leprosy. It would, it would communicate a message to them that, that would help them to believe that Jesus was the Messiah because nobody else had done it. Nobody else had healed somebody of leprosy. In Acts 6, chapter um, Acts 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of, of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The priests, very many of them were some of the ones that were opposed to Jesus. But they see these miracles, and they, and they, and they connect the miracle to the religious practice of the cleansing, and, and then they connect that to the promises of God. And before long, they're saying, wait a minute. This guy is doing something else that nobody else can do. That must mean something. And many of them believed. So Jesus continues on his way. And not long after, we get another one. Now, one of the things we understand about Matthew, we got to be careful that, to, to not read this as a pure chronological listing of accounts because it's not. Um, you know, these could be scattered accounts that Matthew was brought together to create a point, to make a point. They all happened, and we can see them uh, repeated in other Gospels, but then didn't necessarily happen in, in conjunction. But it sounds like there was some, some amount of time that may have passed between. Verse 5, now, when he, Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully Tormented. Now, there's a lot we could say about the centurion. Centurion was a Roman, a Roman soldier, and he, had, he would have a number of troops that he was responsible for. Some say between 100, you know, centurion is where the word centurion come, comes from, the idea of 100, could have meant as many as 600, some say even as many as 2,000. So this guy probably was on the later numbers because he was rich, and he was very influential in the area that he was in. And so he, and he, because he was very helpful to the Jews and did a lot of good for them. And so, and so he comes to Jesus and, and, he, and he tells him what his problem is. And I, I think that's fascinating. He, again, he doesn't ask for his servant to be healed either. But it's implied, right? You, you would say that it's implied that he wants to be healed. He wants him healed. All he does is tell Jesus what he needs, and Jesus responds, verse 7. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, 
I think we can all learn something from these two men who have, 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 come, have approached Jesus. The, the leper knew Jesus could do it. And how did he know that Jesus could do it? Somebody told him. Maybe somebody else had been healed. Maybe somebody else had been healed of leprosy. And he knew something about Jesus, but he wasn't absolutely certain that Jesus was willing to do what he wanted. The centurion simply stated what his need was, and Jesus responded to it. But again, the centurion knew something about Jesus. He knew Jesus was a healer. How did he know that? Somebody told him. Somebody had witnessed to the centurion, this Roman soldier who was, who was you know, the Romans were occupying the land of Israel at this point. They were in many ways oppressors. And somebody had told this Roman centurion about Jesus. So we look at these two guys. We, we can learn a lot about how we approach God. You don't need to tell God about, your, about how to solve your problem, right? Do you know that? You don't need to tell God, okay, God, here's my problem, and this is what you need to do about it, right? If, you, if you're praying like that, please stop. Please stop. If you're going to do it like that, at least don't do it out loud where I can hear it because it just makes me cringe every time I hear it. God knows what we, he's going to He already has a plan, and, and his plan is so much better than yours, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Tell God. Tell God what's going on. That's what these two lepers did. Lepers said, hey, I, hey, I've got leprosy. And the, and the centurion said, hey, I've got a servant, and he's messed up. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God can do so much more than we can think or imagine. He, he can do things that we can't even imagine. We've got to be so careful. Let God be God. Tell him what you're, what's going on in your life. He already knows, but tell him anyway, because he wants you to. He asks us, he commands us to, to talk to him about our stuff. Just don't tell him how to fix it. Trust him. He knows how to do it. He just wants you to believe that he can. If you believe that he can, then let him do it the way he wants it. It'll be so much cooler. It's almost always so much cooler when you let God decide how to do it. Amen? Somebody say amen, because we believe it, right? Maybe not. Okay, somebody does. Thank you. So this centurion believed that Jesus could do what, <clears throat> what he needed, and Jesus said, okay, I'm, I'm going to come do it. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Again, there's so much you can learn from the centurion. The fact that he even talked to Jesus is remarkable. And then what he says here is just doubly remarkable. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Man, there's faith there. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He's saying to this Gentile 
general or, or centurion, hey, this guy's got more faith than anybody else I've seen in Israel. That's a, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a great thing to say about that centurion, but it's a little bit of a rebuke to everybody else, right? When somebody who, who in our minds, you know, is outside of the faith, has more faith than we do about something, that's, that's a bit of a challenge. And I say to you that, you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. We have no idea how far away that servant was. The fact that Jesus said it, it happened. His word was law. His word moved things, changed things. It's the word of God. It's the word of Jesus that changes the world. It was the word of God that brought, it was the word of Jesus that brought this whole world into existence. Jesus spoke, it happened. The centurion had the faith to believe that if Jesus, who, was he, who he was, if he was who he said he was, and who everyone around him was saying he was, then he didn't need to go near his servant to heal him. He didn't have to do that. He had the power just to speak it, and it would happen. Remarkable. Oh, if we would have the same kind of faith. Just believe. There is nothing God can't do. Nothing. If we can imagine it, God can do it. If it's in alignment with his word and his will, nothing. There's no limitations. I, I would love to know more about the centurion. Like, I, I, he was a centurion, so how much could he have possibly known about Jesus? How, could he, how much could he have known about the Old Testament, which speaks so much about this Messiah, this Savior King that would come? He was probably operating on the testimony of what others were saying about Jesus. What does that say to us? How many centurions might be around us? How many, how many out there are people that are, that are influential, that are, that are connected, that are whatever, that, that need to hear about Jesus? The centurion. Now, we don't know exactly where his faith ended up, but he made a choice to believe in this Jesus. And because of that, God did what he wanted. Now, a third display of Jesus' power here is in verse 14 and 15. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. No one says, apparently no one says a word to Jesus. He just realizes there's a situation here. He sees a situation and he takes action and heals her. That in itself is pretty amazing. But then look at what she did immediately after. Immediately after being healed, she got up and she served them. She served Jesus and the disciples and whoever else was there. 
three different people are healed. And we see three different approaches and responses. And one of the things that teaches us about healing is, is there is no formula for healing. You know, some people like to have, okay you, okay, you get sick, then you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and then you're healed. Okay, that's nowhere in Scripture. There's no formula. There's no process. There is no, there is no guarantees, sadly, you know. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as chronic pain with believers, but there is. There's, there, is there is just the reality that God heals when he chooses and how he chooses. And it's entirely up to him on when and how he does it. Now, faith plays a role, but do we see an expression of Peter's mother, of her faith in this process before she's healed? Nope. She's just lying there sick with a fever in the senses that she's really sick. And Jesus sees her and heals her. No, there's, no, there's no reality. There's no, there's no depiction of faith there at all with the possible exception of her response. The leper responded by becoming a witness to those around him, to the priests and then to his family and then to probably everybody else in his, in his circle of influence. The centurion, we would imagine, would then be even more responsive to the Jews and, to, and then probably to Christians afterwards. And Peter's mother-in-law got up and served the Lord and his disciples. All three of these people came to Jesus because they could not save themselves. They could not do for themselves what they believed Jesus could do. Peter's mother-in-law didn't come, but she, she, had, she couldn't save herself. And after, their, after Jesus did, after Jesus healed them, their natural response, the response that came out of them, was to do something for Jesus. And that ought to be our response. If we recognize Jesus has done something for me, my response ought to be to do something for Jesus, right? I mean, is that, is that, does that sound like a right response? If Jesus has done something for me, I should do something for Jesus. Sadly, I think many in the church are missing this. They get saved. Yay! Not going to hell. Yay! But what are you doing with that? What, how are we responding? What, what, are we, what are we doing for Jesus? Are we, are we doing anything for Jesus? The natural response, the response that should be expected from anyone who has been saved from the pit of hell ought to be to do something for Jesus. Ought to be to serve him. Serve the one who saved you. If you believe that, that going to hell was a bad thing and then Jesus saved you through his sacrifice on the cross, if you believe that he saved you, shouldn't you respond to that? 
Only, only he could do that. Only he could save you from that fate. Only he could bring you out of the pit, out of the slavery to sin. Only he could break that slavery and bring you into the freedom of, of his love. Only he could do that. And after he's done that, we should respond. And we, we look at these three accounts and, and they give us a picture of some of the ways that we can respond. We can ask ourselves, I have, Jesus has saved me. Am I a witness of that? Do I, am I a witness of the healing that I have experienced? Does anyone else know what Jesus did for me? Can, any, can anyone around me describe what Jesus has done to me, for me? Do they know? Should they know? You know that, that that leper's family and friends knew exactly what happened, right? They, hey, hey, I went up to Jesus. He, he looked at me, saw, hey, dude, you're a leper. Let me fix that for you. And he healed me. A centurion, we don't know specifically what he did, but if we read other accounts, we get an idea that, that he may have been kind to the Jews and, and, and by extension, he would ultimately be kind to the Christians. What are you doing to make the life of other Christians better? Are you doing anything to help other Christians have a better life? Are you serving God's people? Who's supposed to do that? You, pastor, you're supposed to do it. Okay, I am, the best I know how, but I'm not the only one. I believe God calls us all to serve. And I think our giving to God, now we talk about giving and the, and the, the offering, and that's fine, that's, it's, that's important, you need to do that. But there's more to it than that. There's more than just giving money. It's about giving all of ourselves and looking at the men's breakfast. If you missed the men's breakfast yesterday, I'd really encourage you to listen to the message, watch the message. I think it was an important message for men to hear. Ladies, you can watch it too, but it was for the guys, so just know that. If I get a little, you know, little, you know, guy-ish, you'll know why, because I was talking to guys. So we talk about bacon, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Kidding. I don't, I don't think I actually mentioned bacon yesterday, but anyways. <laughs> what was I talking about now? I'm totally confused. One of the things I was talking about yesterday is, is what the church does important? Is the church important? Now, now I believe that it is. I believe it serves an important role in the community. If that is true, that the church is important, then should those who call this church home play a role in helping the church to fulfill its purpose and mission? And what is that purpose? What is that role? What is it that God's calling us to do? And I believe to the degree that we believe that what this church is doing is important and important to the community is the degree to which we will engage with the church to help it fulfill its objectives. 
What are we doing to say thank you to Jesus? Now, now before you say, well, I, I'm, I'm taking care of my family. Well, good. That's the very least you ought to be doing. You know, I'm a good employee. Well, yep, you're supposed to do that too. But is there something you should be doing in the church, for the church, with the church? And I would challenge you to spend some time with the Lord in that because I'm guessing there might be. Now, I don't mean that as a rebuke. Please, it's a challenge. Examine your heart, examine your priorities, examine your life, and see if God would call you into a deeper walk with him through serving his people. Amen? Amen. Well, Peter's mother-in-law, she gets up, she serves Jesus and the disciples because they weren't done. Verse 16 and 17 says this. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all healed all who were sick. That fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. One of the things we notice about Jesus, he never refused to heal someone. That anyone who came to Jesus in need of healing, he healed them. And how, how did he heal them? Completely. He didn't qualify them. He didn't ask them for a declaration of faith. He didn't ask them for a commitment. He didn't ask them for anything. If they came to Jesus, he healed them. And that's a message to all of us. Who should we serve? Anyone. If they have a need, we should serve them. However God would lead us. If God would lead us to serve, we should serve. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if they have a need and God has given us the ability to meet that need, we need to try to do our best. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to... You know, don't go crazy with that. But let God lead you. Let God speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. But if there is a need and God's given you the ability to do it, then you ought to ask God. Say, God, am I supposed to be doing something here? One of the things that I've learned being involved in the ministry, as long as I have, there will never be enough ministers to meet the needs of the ministry, ever. No matter what we do, there's still more out there that needs to be done. It's endless. For me, that means job security. So, you know, I'm gonna, I keep getting going. I keep, go, keep getting to do it. But also as a challenge to all of us, there's so much that needs to be done. So much so that, so that we have a vehicle. Because remember that, that the, when we serve Jesus, it gives us a platform on which to tell people about Jesus, to witness of him whatever God's doing in our lives or whatever he's going to do in someone else's life. It's an opportunity to witness to and about the power of God. And you know, some people believe or think that, that they are beyond God's reach. And we need to remember this, what Jesus did here. That, that there was never anyone that was beyond his reach. Anyone who came. And they didn't, have, they didn't have to come looking for it. Peter's mother-in-law, she wasn't looking for it. You know, Jesus came to her. And we need to be the ones that will reach out to those who won't come to Jesus. We need to go to them. And those who, who, are, who are coming or maybe they're not sure, they're, they're, they're maybe they're a little confused about things in life. Hey, hey, we need to be the ones that direct them right straight to the feet of Jesus. Say, here's the answer. Here's what you need. 
No one is so far from Jesus or so diseased, either physically or spiritually or emotionally or relationally, that Jesus can't heal them. And we need to believe that. If you're here today, you, you probably have been healed of the fatal disease of sin. Doesn't mean you're perfect, because I know most of you. We're still going to have to deal with the physical stuff. We're still going to have to deal with the aches and the pains and the different things that come, especially if we you know, get to live as long as some of us have. We have to deal with those things. But we do so with the hope that eventually all that's going to go away. I'll tell you what, you know, when I was young, I, you know, well, when I wasn't saved when I was young, so that, that really doesn't apply that way, but I never thought about, you know, having, you know, shedding this flesh and putting on the immortal. But I'll tell you what, every day that I continue to live, I'm more anxious for that. The more the aches and the pains and the groans and the wounds and whatever other thing comes, the more I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I, and, I, and, I, and I can cling to that when my mortal body is letting me down. I was working out in the yard yesterday and it was stupid hot. And, you know, and my body said, no, you need to stop right now. And Kelly will tell you, I actually listened that time because I don't always do that. I didn't have to do that when I was young. And when we get to that place and we realize, man, no, man, I'm not what I used to be, but I know what I'm going to be. We rejoice in that. And we should also, when we have an opportunity, we need to share that with others. You know what? Man, my, my body is messed up right now, but you know what? I have the hope. I have hope of an eternal body. I have hope of an immortal body. I have hope that all these things that I'm whining and complaining about today, that's all going to go away. It may not make these mortal things easier, but the hope that we have can help us to endure, to go one more day. I know, I know there are people listening not too far away that one more day is hard. It's hard. Life has been hard. And not just physical pain. We know people that are going through some really serious things right now. Gary and Sandy, that's a hard thing they're going through right now. David and his family, they're going through a hard thing right now. Not a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. All of that's going to get healed too. All of our emotional stuff, all of our wrong thinking, all of our, you know, wounds from past harms that have been done to us or we've done to others, all that's going to be healed. And I rejoice in the thought of that. Listen, if you're here and you're strong and healthy, rejoice. Rejoice. The rest of us are going to try not to groan as we stand up. And we will try to resist sharing our latest test results with you. And we're just going to cling to the hope that we have in Jesus. And as we do that, we're going to remind people that there is healing. They may, not need, they may not need physical healing, but they might need spiritual healing. And we need to be ready to share it with them. Amen? 
Heavenly Father, we do come and thank you, Lord God. I thank you for the strength you gave me to stand up here today. I thank you for, Lord, the physical health that, that, that many of us enjoy and that even as some of us have gone through some very difficult things physically or emotionally or spiritually or relationally or financially or whatever, that, Lord God, in the end, Lord, um, in the end, there is you, God. When you told your disciples you're going away to prepare a place for them, that you promised to come and get them again. And, and even as we're going to talk about in the meeting after this one about the reality that that could be sooner than later, it is going to be sooner than later, that, that we cling to that hope that no matter what this life brings, we're going to heaven. We experience the perfection of heaven. But as we're here this morning and we have to we have to go through this day. Oh, and I rejoice with those who, who don't have issues they're dealing with today. I rejoice with them, God. I'm so thankful that, that you do give strength to the, especially to the young and to, the, you know, to many, even some who are not young, you give them strength. And to others, Lord, that, that, that life is either they have made choices that have been hard on their, on their physical bodies or you know, made, made lifelong choices that have damaged their bodies. Lord, we rest in the reality that you are a healing God. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that you, you have a desire to heal them, you have, it's your will that they be healed, I pray right this very moment, Lord God, that by the power of God, by, the, by the, the glory of the risen Savior King, that, Lord God, you'd heal them right this very moment, that they would be free from whatever it is that they've been wrestling with, that whatever they've been struggling with, that they would know the absolute perfect healing of God right this very moment. And I believe, Lord God, that you can. I believe that you're willing. And just as you reached out and touched that leper, I pray that you would reach out and touch them and that they would know it. Just as that woman that was healed of the 12-year of the flow of blood, she knew the power of God had moved in her. I pray that you'd help them to feel that right this very moment. And Lord, for those... Lord God, for whatever reason, a reason that, that, that probably will never be explained to us, you choose not to heal. I pray that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them hope, that you'd give them the ability to endure, knowing that, Lord God, that there is a plan in it, there is a, there is a, there is a, a reality of your glory and presence in it and that in it Lord that they would they they would draw near to you that even through their own pain and suffering that they would be quick to draw others to you as well I pray Lord that you would help us all to remind ourselves that 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 we have experienced the greatest healing of all that because of what you did for us on the cross Jesus that we have forgiveness of sin and we have the hope of heaven. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's not, who's not made that decision, who's not chosen to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, that, that sickness, the sickness of sin, will destroy and consume 
it leads only to destruction. But you give us, you sent your son. Father God, you sent Jesus so that we might be free. And so if someone's here and they've never received Christ, or you're watching online, you've never received Christ, do that right now. It's simple. Pray this simple little prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that because of my sin, I am separated from you, and I'm separated from heaven for all of eternity. And the only hope that I have to be healed of this situation, of this circumstance, of this condition, is to receive Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins and that by believing, I will be forgiven and I will be cleansed of my sin. Heavenly Father, I do lift up all of us today as we go out from this place that you'd remind us of all that you've done for us and that we'd be witnesses of that. We would tell others about what you've done for us that we would do good for other believers, other Christians, and that we would serve you, Lord, in whatever way that you've created us to do that, that we would choose to serve you in some way. Lord God, I thank you so much for this, your church. I thank you for your people, and I pray for your blessing and anointing on them. And I especially want to lift up those who are carrying heavy burdens today. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to lay those burdens down, to trust in you, to cling to you, to hold on to you as they go through whatever they're going through. We praise you, Lord, and we lift this day up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.